All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of College Football Sunday. I'm Steve. So Taz isn't able to make it this week, so I guess we're going to go ahead and roll this thing out solo and see how it goes. <laughs> All right, well, first episode that we're going to talk about here, we was going to break it up into different parts and stuff like that for the group of five schools, but I figured, you know what? We gave the American a lot of respect and did an episode of their own, so I'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and do it for the Sun Belt Conference USA, the MAC, the Mountain West, and the Independent. My biggest thing in this was that I was wanting to go ahead and reach out to all these different conferences and show love because a lot of people get so focused on the bigger schools and no one really talks about the smaller schools. And like I always said, they play good football all around the country. So, all right, on this episode, I'm going to talk about the Sunbelt Conference. The Sunbelt Conference is pretty interesting to me. Now they're going to have 14 teams. They added four more teams this upcoming year. They went from 10 to 14. They're adding Marshall, James Madison, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss, which the, the Sun Belt won't never get to that Power 5 level, I don't believe. But I like what they try to do to solidify their conference. With all the t- ups and downs that's going on in college football right now, I like how they're trying to solidify their conference pull them all together, and say, hey, we're going to be a team and a conference to be reckoned with. And they've proven that. They have. In their non-conference games, their bowl games, they've had teams ranked in the top 20, up and down. So I think the Sun Belt's really moving up the ladder a lot. I think probably once the teams leave the American Conference this upcoming year, after this year, then I think the Sun Belt will take that leap into probably the top group of five conference from what they have and what they're building out there. So last year's championship game was Louisiana against App State. Ended up being a pretty good game. Coach Napier finally was able to get over the hump. He had won four straight division titles. Just quite couldn't get that championship game win, but he finally came through last year against App State and had a really great year, which catapulted him into getting that Florida job, I believe. All right, well, let's go ahead and start breaking down these teams that we got in the Sun Belt Conference. First off, we got here, we got App State. App State last year went 10-4. and They had a pretty solid year, made it to the conference championship game, and they got a pretty good, good amount of stuff coming back. They have seven offensive players coming back on offense. They got their quarterback coming back, who's playing really well. They also have their running back coming back, or two running backs coming back that I think is probably, well, here later on I'll talk about another running back I think is probably better than them. But those two right there are going to be top of the league for sure and a great player for them to lean on in the run game. This year, though, they have a little bit tougher schedule. They got two really strong non-conference games. They do. They play North Carolina at home, which they've proven, App State, that they're not scared to play anybody, anywhere, anytime even during the week. (laughs) But they actually got North Carolina to come to uh, Appalachian State, which is very, very interesting. Not very often do these big-time schools end up going to these smaller schools and giving them an opportunity to host a game like that. So North Carolina better be careful going out there. And looking at it right now, they're only a three-point favorite in that game, which really says a lot for what Appalachian State's been able to do as a team. Then they got to go to Texas A&M also. That one, I don't see going (laughs) quite as well. Texas A&M has a very solid team. And App State to go out there is really showing that they ain't scared to play anybody. And if somehow, some way that this team can pull that kind of upset off, it, it would be amazing. It would be crazy 
And also on their schedule, they got to go at Coastal Carolina, which they played a really good game last year where they beat Coastal Carolina by three in a very, very tight game. So now they got to go to Coastal Carolina instead of Coastal Carolina coming to App State out to Boone, North Carolina. Because that would be a really, really interesting game. I think that game could probably be the one that could decide who ends up winning that division that year. And then they play also another pretty solid team, the newcomer to the conference. They play Marshall. They got to go to Marshall. So that right there is not an easy place to win at all. And it's been proven. So with that being said, they got that, like I said earlier, Chase Bryce is back. He was the quarterback for, for App State last year. He's the guy, if y'all know, he was the transfer that played behind Trevor Lawrence, wasn't getting no playing time, went to Duke, didn't really play too much or too well out there. So then he transferred over to App State, and now he's getting his opportunity, and it seems like he's playing really well. So this is a top five high school quarterback coming out that App State has. And they also have a Nate Noel, who had 1,126 yards rushing. Like I said, he is a solid, solid player and will be one to be reckoned with for sure in the upcoming season. All right, so that's about a little bit of rundown with App State and how what they got coming back and how their year was last year. So next we got on the list here, we got Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina went 11-2 and last year. Another solid year by Coastal Carolina. They have a really, really great team out there. That Jamie Chadwell in his fifth year, as a head coach out there, is doing amazing. Their two losses were on, on only two plays. They lost to App State by three, and they lost to Georgia State 40-42 to on a failed two-point play. With that being said, that McCall, who's been the two-time Sun Belt player of the year, wasn't playing in that game. So they really probably would have only lost one game that year and probably would have made the conference championship game. But... This year, they don't really have too much coming back, though. They only got four on offense and three on defense. But, man, they don't have much. But what they got coming back, whoo, I'm telling y'all, they got the players they got coming back are pretty pretty darn good players. They have a Josiah Stewart. He's a defensive end for them. And he could probably win um, some belt player of the year, defensive player of the year as a sophomore. Last year as a freshman, he had 12 and a half sacks. And from what I'm reading, he's only getting bigger and getting stronger and mastering his craft. I think he's like 245, about 6'4", 6'3", defensive end, quick, fast twitch. I mean, he's a beast out there on the edge. So they're going to either run away from him or they're really going to have to pay attention to him because he's going he's gonna to wreck some plays this year. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was saying, that, that Jamie Chedwell is doing such a great job out there. This is a, He's been the full-time coach the last three years. He was a little interim head coach there for a little bit, a couple years before that. But what he's been able to do there, his first year he was 5-7. and seven. Then in 2020, the COVID year, he went 11-1 and one and got him into the top 15. Then last year got him all the way to 11-2 and two also. So, I mean, I'm surprised that he hasn't been pulled to take one of these bigger jobs. I really, really am because a coach that does something like that at this level, I'm surprised the Duke or, you know what I'm saying, even, oh, <laughs> really Vandy. 
<laughs> as we'll keep track of them throughout the year. I'm, I'm pretty sure they could use a head coach like a Jamie Chadwell. So, I mean, any of these other schools, I mean, I'm surprised they haven't pulled them yet and pulled them from the group of five. I think another 11-10 win conference championship. I mean, I don't really see much else he could do at this level and why that wouldn't be the next step that he would end up taking. Because, I mean, once you max out, I mean, once you want to know what could I do, you know, I mean, even with the schedule that they play and the non-conference and even as good as their conference has been doing, it's never going to get them to that Cincinnati level like last year. It won't. So, I mean, I would really like to see what he could do at a bigger school. At a bigger school with better players, better opportunity, I think he's a hell of a coach in developing I mean, that Grayson McCall, two-time Sun, Sun Belt Player of the Year, was a two-star coming out of high school. And look what he's turned him into. He's the best player in one of the better lower-tier conferences out there. So, I mean, imagine what he could do with a four-star or a five-star, you know? I mean, that would be amazing to see what he would be able to do with that level and those type of resources and everything. So, but we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> We will. Like I say, it all happens. Everything happens in roles like it's supposed to for a reason. So we'll sit back and we'll see what's going on. All right. So then another school we got here is Georgia State. Straight out the ATL. They play in the stadium they play in. Used to be the Atlanta Braves baseball field. Turner Field is where, where they're actually playing football at now. Last year they went 8-5, and five, which was a school record. That Sean Elliott is doing a really great job out there. They won their bowl game last year, and that was their third straight bowl appearance, which is saying something. And like I said, they ended up beating Coastal Carolina on the road last year. Regardless, like I said, their quarterback didn't play, but they still showed up and they made the plays to win the game off of a failed two-point play. They have a pretty good quarterback, Darren Granger. He ain't starting until about mid-October last year, but he ended up finishing the year with 19 touchdowns and four, only four interceptions. So I think Sean Elliott found his quarterback and who he has moving forward this year with his team and should be able to put up even better numbers this upcoming year with a full season. I mean, there's looking at there's really no reason why I don't think maybe 10 wins. I mean, from what they've done, I mean, they got eight starters coming back on offense. They got an amazing running game. They rushed for 226.4 yards per game last year, which ended up being eighth in the country. Not in a conference, in the country. So they got a great running game. They finally found their quarterback about mid-October. They returned both of their star running backs, Tucker Gray and Jameis Williams. Tucker Gray last year ran for 953 yards and nine touchdowns, almost 1,000 yards. That Jameis Williams ran for 859 yards and nine touchdowns himself, too. So, I mean, almost 2,000-yard running backs to put it in nine nine times apiece. I mean, that's that's pretty solid. Like I said, that Sean Elliott is really building something out there, and that's just on offense. Last year on defense, they ended up setting three school records on defense, and they returned seven of those starters back. They set a school record for 36 sacks, 92 tackles for loss, and forced 21 turnovers at Georgia State, which is a team that nobody really heard of, that no one really paid much attention to. And like I said, they got the eighth-best running game in the country. 
They got probably one of the best defenses in the whole conference. But all you hear about is the big ones that you hear about on TV and ESPN all the time. So we're going to go ahead and show them some love out here. And like I said, they won eight games last year in their bowl game. I mean, 10, 10 wins is pretty doable now, especially since you found your quarterback. I mean, I don't see why that's outside of the realm for them to have another great year this year and maybe even compete for the division. So but that's a little bit about Georgia State for people who didn't know about it. Next team I got here I got is Marshall. Marshall last year went 7-6, and six, and they lost their bowl game, so they were 7-5 in the regular season. It's Charles Huff's second year, and he's one of those Nick Saban disciples. He was the running backs coach at Alabama before he ended up coming here. Now, this is the crazy part. They end up firing Doc Holliday after the 2020 year, right? <laughs> Which was the COVID year. He was actually the Conference USA Coach of the Year that year. He started 7-0, and got up to number 15 in the country. Now, granted, he lost his last three, but he had been there for 10 years. I mean, he had really gotten that program up there where they need to be, and it's probably one of the reasons why they was picked and choose to move up to the Sun Belt from Conference USA. But for some reason, I mean, granted, I know you got to win your games. You're in the business of winning games. But 7-0, <laughs> I mean, yes, you lost your last three, but and your coach of the year in the conference, I mean, how, I, I just wonder, like, how did that conversation go? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you bring a coach in after being awarded coach of the year and say, all right, coach, well, <laughs> we had a good run, but we want to go in a different direction. You would think if that was the case, then every coach that year in Conference USA would have got fired because pretty damn sure no one did as good as he did if he got that honor or was supposed to have done as good as what he did with what he had. And this is another thing. I'm looking at these numbers and really digging into all of these teams and everything for everybody. And I looked at, like I said, 7-6. and six. They lost their bowl game, so they were 7-5 and five going into the bowl game. Last year, Marshall did not beat a team that finished with a winning record. Not one. Seven of those wins. Each team of those seven wins was either 6-7 and because they went to their bowl game and lost, or worse. So... How good was his Charles Huff's first year if you haven't beaten a team that finished with a winning record? Now, granted, they might have had a winning record when you played them, but we all know, you really know how good a team is at the end of the year, not in October. So that kind of, that number is kind of deceiving at seven and six. And um, that I'm, I'm not quite sold on them all the way yet. I love Doc Holliday. I thought, I mean, one, <laughs> He's got one of the best names in college football, hands down. <laughs> he does. But he was also a really great coach while he was there. And I just I think that's a, a bad move that Marshall made in, in doing that. But then their starting quarterback, Grant Wells, that they have last year, that was 7-6, and six, he ended up leaving and jumping ship and went to Virginia Tech. So, I mean, they brought in a Henry Columby. He was from Texas Tech, so that might help. I mean, he's more in depth with passing and everything like that. So that that would probably help. They don't really bring much back on offense. They only bring back three starters on offense. They have a great running back, though. And this is the guy I was talking about earlier that I was telling y'all about. This guy right here, Rasheen Ali, this guy is legit. <laughs> I like the other running backs 
that you know App State has or Louisiana might have and all that. But this Rasheen Ali is probably the best running back. Last year he ran for 1,401 yards and 23 touchdowns. 23 touchdowns. So with that being said, a lot of it was probably up close, goal line situations. He got some pretty good speed to him and some pretty good size to him also. But that means he falls forward. <laughs> if you hit him, he ain't falling backwards. So he's going to move forward, and he's going to push the chains, and he's going to get them extra yards, and he's going to get in the end zone. That's going to be a very dedicated kid. And like I said, 23 touchdowns tied for the lead in college football last year. And I would not be surprised to see this kid have another great season this upcoming year. On the defense, they return six starters. They do have a lockdown corner, though, that everybody needs to know, which they probably will hear in the upcoming season. It's a guy named Stephen Gilmore. He's a senior. That guy right there, shut him down. You might if you're if you're if you're the opposing quarterback, you need to locate that kid. <laughs> and if you're a star receiver, wherever that guy's playing, hope he doesn't follow you the whole game. So you need to locate Stephen Gilmore every time when you drop back and you set up before you snap that ball. Because if you throw his way, it's you might as well just go on stay where you're at because it's gonna be incomplete and it's gonna be another down down. So everybody keep a lookout for that Stephen Gilmore. That kid is a very, very solid corner they got out there that they're really developing out there. And like I said, he's a senior, and he's ready to go. But that's all I got for Marshall right now. And then on to the next thing we got here. We got Old Dominion. Old Dominion is a very interesting school. Very, very interesting school. I knew a little bit about them. Not as much as though I started digging deep and looking into them and everything. Last year, they went 6-7 and seven and lost their bowl game, which... Honestly, six and seven, everybody be like, eh, that's a that's an okay year. That's kind of average, whatever. But what if I told you <laughs> that they didn't even play in 2020? Like with the whole COVID thing, they said, you know what, we ain't. Uh, uh-uh. uh, we're 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 going we're going to shut it down. Even when the other schools in the conference that they was in, they're a new team also that moved up from Conference USA. But they decided in 2020 that they was not going to play football. So to take a whole year off and end up six and seven and make a bowl game the following year, to me, is amazing. And even if you look, and what made it even more interesting when I started digging into them, because like I said, I, I know a little bit. I don't know too much about Old Dominion. But last year, they started one and six. <laughs> so coming out the gate, you didn't play in 2020. 2021, you're one and six. I mean, you're you're one loss from, I mean, no bowl. And for a lot of these schools, a bowl game, which a bowl game is a gift, which really aggravates me that a lot of people treat these bowl games as this, oh, you know, it's just a bowl game, it don't matter. No, these bowl games are gifts. They're to show you and give appreciation for all your hard work and dedication, not to mention the 15 practices that you get, which helps you moving forward into the next year. So starting at one and six, they end up making a run. I don't know what clicked, what happened, but they end up winning their last five games that year to end up making it to a bowl game. That right there is impressive because that's going to be really hard to keep them motivated and keep everything going at one and six and to have that team show up and hunker down and end up winning their last five to make a bowl game is amazing. So regardless of the result of the bowl game, 
just getting to a bowl game for Old Dominion, I think, last year was an outstanding year. And then you turn around, you look at it, they end up come bringing back 10 of their 11 starters on offense. The only player they're missing is their center graduated, which is a very, very, very important piece to the line because that's the guy that makes the calls and calls out the protections and everything else and stuff like that. But you bring 10 of your 11 starters back on defense, and they only have one senior this year. So not only should they improve on that 6-7 and and get into a bowl game and maybe get 7-8 to wins, they're going to be just as good, if not even better, the following year. I mean, they have a lot going on for them. And then one of the main players that you want to look at is their junior tight end, Zach Koontz. This guy right here led the team last year with 73 catches and five touchdowns. So you know that quarterback, he's looking for him. <laughs> That's his guy, is that tight end right there, which, hey, I don't blame him because he was actually a four-star tight end commitment to Penn State. And then end up transferring from Penn State out to Old Dominion for whatever reason. Who knows? But <laughs> for that quarterback to have a four-star tight end on this level, oh, I mean, no wonder he led with 73 catches and five touchdowns last year. <laughs> I mean, that'd be my go-to guy, too. Then also then, when you got your tight end right there, you know what? Hey, let me go and hand off to this running back. I got an 1,100-yard running back in Watson. The running back, Watson, comes back. He's 1,100-yard running back, which is one of those 10 returning starters. Oh, yeah, don't forget, he also has a 1,000-yard receiver, Ali Jennings. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they have a real opportunity next year to make a lot of noise at Old Dominion. And I could really see them improving. They could from that six and seven. But everybody knows, you know, just because you can score points, you also have to stop them and stuff like that. But with Old Dominion, they also do have a really good hard-hitting safety coming back. 91 tackles led the team last year. Six pass breakups and two interceptions. So that right there tells you with 91 tackles as a safety, one or two things. <laughs> one... The players are getting past the linebackers into the second level, which isn't good. I get it. But this kid ain't scared to lay the wood on somebody. So you come running across if you want to, and you can look for Retarian Johnson, and he, he's going to put you on your back. So that's another, that's another good safety right there that you need to look out for because he'll drop back in coverage, and he'll also come up and lay the wood on somebody. So if you're out there and you're running routes, you're playing Old Dominion. Just make sure you know locate where he's at also. <laughs> All right, so the next team we got here is James Madison. This is their first year in the FBS. Now, usually I would talk about, like, I have these other ones, you know, the players and coaches and all that stuff that they got coming back and how they did and but with a school like James Madison moving up from Division Two up to Division One, it's kind of hard to go off of what those kids did last year into what they might do this year because to me personally and maybe some people would disagree with me i believe division the gap between division two and division one i believe is day and night now are there some good division two schools yes there is james madison is one of them sam houston state jacksonville state north dakota state south dakota very 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 solid division two schools and with that being said there was also a reason why those Division II schools <laughs> are being moved up to the Division I level because 
I believe just in recruiting, the day in day, week in, week out grind. I mean, the kids are bigger, the kids are stronger. And it's no knock on the Division II schools, but like I said, me personally, I believe there's only a handful of Division II schools that can even be competitive in a group of five. And like I said, those are the schools <laughs> that are being brought up here in the next year or so to Division One. What I want to talk about with James Madison then this year and this season and this episode is I just want to talk a little bit about the history because I know a lot of people see James Madison and all they think is, oh, Division Two school moving up to Division One, They're going to get steamrolled and ain't nobody going to care. Eh, pump the brakes on that one because James Madison is a very, very, very great Division Two school. And maybe not this year, because they'll have to get, I mean, they've been recruiting very, very well. Not this year, but here in the near future, I can see them in very near future, probably like a year or two, <laughs> actually competing for the division and probably even the conference. Like, that's how good of a head start they already got in this transition. Like I said, they're a really great, great team, and they've been recruiting well, and a lot of their kids have been plucked away from them and gone to other schools as we talked about in other conferences where the players have came from oh this transfer went here where's he from oh he's from james madison where's this guy from oh he's from james madison so a lot of these players have been plucked so if they can keep the ones apparently they must be doing something right if these bigger schools want these kids so with james madison they come from the colonial athletic association which is a very solid Division II conference. They've actually won six of the last seven conference titles in that conference, which is amazing. I mean, regardless what conference you play in, if you win six out of seven, you're doing something right. They've made eight straight FCS playoff appearances they have, which is another great run. Same thing, regardless of what level. You made the playoffs eight straight years, which means you had a chance. They also won a national championship in 2016, which was when they, I think they really started picking up a lot of momentum and making this transition. They lost the national championship, though, in 2017 and 2019. So, honestly, they made the national, and they lost those two games to North Dakota State, which that's nothing to hold your head down about. So even in that being said, they have made it to the national championship game in three of the four years from 2016 to 2019. So I think they've pretty well established themselves as one of the top FCS schools. Last in 2020, they end up losing in the semifinals to the eventual national champion, Sam Houston State. But they only lost that game by three. And then last year in 2021, they end up losing again to the eventual national champions, North Dakota State, 20 to 14. So even in the games that they lost the last two years in the playoffs and the semifinals, which is only one game away from another national championship game, they only lost by three and by six, respectively, to the team who actually ended up winning the national championship. <laughs> and the atmosphere. The atmosphere at James Madison in Philadelphia is amazing. In 2015 and, and 2017, college game day went there. They went there in 2015 when they played Richmond, and they went there in 2017 when they played Villanova, the year before they won the national championship and the year after they won the national championship. So they've already had game day go there twice, which is two more times than a lot of schools have even had college game day show up to. So like I say... Keep an eye on James Madison. I don't think this year, just because of the transition and everything, but they could really compete 
and give this conference and this division a big headache. And I see this side of the conference building up to be pretty darn strong. So the last team we got in the division is Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, very interesting team. Very, very, very interesting team. Georgia Southern's always been known as a triple option team. I mean, pretty much like um, like the service academies, like Georgia Tech was back in the day, a couple years ago. I mean, they, they was always known as a run-heavy triple option team. Well, Clay Helton, former USC head coach, which we all should know about, that had his up and downs and everything at USC. This is first year at Georgia Southern. He jumped on it quick. I mean, it, it was so crazy. It's like he got fired finally, which they, I, I mean, they got, they, USC got so lucky that they struck gold with Lincoln Riley because I thought they really set their program back on not ever making a decision one way or another with Clay Helton while he was there. But now he's at Georgia Southern. This is first year. That's a triple option team. They went three and nine last year. So if that tells you how great it actually worked for him, I mean, that should let you know. Now they're going from, <laughs> they're going. I can't even say it without laughing. They're going from a triple option to a spread offense. Spread it out and sling it. Clay, you don't got the personnel. <laughs> I mean, you you really really don't. I mean, it takes to make a drastic change like that. He would have been better off going from a triple option to a pro style offense, and then go from a pro style offense to a spread offense. Because at least it does more with running heavy, eye formation, you know, under center. Kind of ease your way into it so you can start to get your kids in here and you can open it up to a spread option. But going from a triple option to a spread offense, it's like day and night. It's like two sides of the coin, (laughs) y'all. I mean, it's going to take three, four, shoot at Georgia Southern, five years. Not only just to get your players in place, but then also to get your scheme worked in. And how do you, I mean, these schools nowadays won't give you that long. They're not going to give you five, six, seven years to finally get your players in here because you decided to reinvent the wheel. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, pretty much that's what he did. He's showing up and he's reinventing the wheel. Now, either the man's crazy or he's a genius. Like I say, there's a thin line between insanity and genius. So we'll have to sit back and try to figure that out. Because when you look at their stats from last year, in Russia, they average 193.5 yards a game on the ground. That's amazing. 32nd in the country. And usually they're higher than that. For them, that was pretty an off, pretty bad year. Usually they're higher than that. But still, 32nd, 193 yards a game. That's That's, that's good running. I mean, you ask any coach, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, you got to run the ball first. You got to establish a run. And it seems like they did that pretty well. Then you look at their passing, 147.1 yards a game, 124th in the country. There's some schools and some quarterbacks. I'll tell you this. Right now, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Caleb Williams, they'll throw for 150 yards in the first quarter. (laughs) Let alone the entire game, you know, that's that's two, three possessions for them. They'll have 150 yards. No problem with the offenses that they run. But they have the athletes and everything to do that. So their starting quarterback last year, Justin Tomlin, he was out. 
He's like, oh, I see the writing. You're going to do what? <laughs> nah, I ain't hanging around for that. I see the writing on the wall. I mean, I no, I can't. I'm a triple option quarterback. That's not what I do. And one, you're not going to sit me back there and get me chewed up and ate up because my linemen ain't used to pass blocking. They used to run blocking. <laughs> and pass blocking and run blocking, that's two different things. So they got a quarterback from Buffalo, Kyle Bantrese, to come in. And for, I mean, he did all right last year, laying a lot on the line for someone like that to come in. And maybe he just brought him in since his quarterback ended up transferring out and said, hell, I just need someone to fill a spot that knows how to throw the forward pass. <laughs> so I think if Helton was smart next year, he would be at least 60-40, 70-30 on rushing the passing the ball again. Even in your spread offense, you want to, I mean, you still want to establish a run. It's just a lot more difficult playing six yards back in the shotgun running the ball than it is in the triple option because a lot of that's made by whoever the guy hits. You got to start stop the dive first. You don't stop the dive. Then you got the counter. Then you got the pitch man. And it's actually a really well-run offense when it's ran right. I mean, look at the service academies. Coming in there trying to reinvent the wheel like that, all I got to say is <laughs> good luck to you, Helton. <laughs> So, well, that's all the teams in that division. We're going to go on a slide over to the other division. And who we got right here is the defending champion, conference champion last year, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. So, last year they was 13-1. and Great year. Really great year. But, once again, digging into it, seven of their wins last year were by eight points or less. And there were some really, really tight games against probably some teams that probably shouldn't have been that tight against. So I was looking at their schedule last year. They beat Nichols State 27 to 24. That Georgia Southern team I just talked about, 28 to 20. At South Alabama, 20 to 18, a two-point game. At Arkansas State, a one-point game, 28 to 7. Georgia State. 21-17, a four-point game. UL Monroe, 21-16, a five-point game. And then App State in the championship game was only an eight-point win, but that was a championship game against App State, so that I'll give you a pass on that. But you should be blowing out Nickel State. You should not be beating Nickel State by three. You should not be beating at South Alabama by two or Arkansas State by one. I mean... He had a great year, and he built a great thing there. Napier did, but that's a lot of close games right there. But granted, hey, you're in the business of winning games. So at the end of the day, the only thing anybody remembers is the end result, and it was 13-1. to I think one of the things that helped him get to 13-1 last year was that there was plus 15 in turnover margin, number one in the conference and number two in the entire country. That also <laughs> is how you get 13 wins and this is something that i'm sure a lot of people didn't know if i asked you who had the longest winning streak in the entire country current winning streak in the entire country would you ever guess it was louisiana louisiana last year they lost their first game at texas and they had a lot of momentum going into that game because of the upset that they had against iowa state the year before during the COVID year and it, they, they thought, you know, they might be able to hang with them and win that game, but they end up losing to Texas on the road. And then they've won 13 straight since then. 
They have. I mean, and then looking at their schedule setting up, they could. They don't play App State. They don't play Coastal Carolina. And they could honestly, coming into at Florida State, have a 23-game winning streak coming into Tallahassee next year. With that being said, now, granted, they did lose a lot. When you talk about a team that lost a lot, this team lost a lot. This team lost their head coach, a couple of position coaches, coordinators, players. They got six returning starters on offense. They got five on defense. So that's not too terrible bad, but they have lost a lot on this team. Now, if they can get it figured out, good thing they got going for them that I really like is the head coach they got. I'm not going to butcher his name. So I'm going to call him Coach Mike D. Coach Mike D, he's a QB there from 05 to 08 at Louisiana. And he's been an assistant there since 2016. So he was there the whole time during Napier's career there. So I'm hoping and I'm pretty darn sure he picked up a lot from Napier on how to run a program and how help on recruiting and all that. And, I mean, he's Cajun through and through. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure this guy right here got Tony Saturday running through his veins. <laughs> That's how Cajun this man is. Outside of Ed Orgeron, he might be the most Cajun person head coach in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> this had so i mean and he won the bowl game coach last year won the bowl game after napier ended up leaving he did so he's already off to a good start he's one and oh so and like i said he was there he's been there for about five six years anyways and i kind of wonder how that conversation went i kind of wonder if did he want to go with napier to florida to be his oc or did he say you know what this i'm from here this is me like I said, played quarterback there, coach there, been there before Napier was there, and said, you know what, I want to be the man here. So I kind of wonder how that went. I mean, I think staying and coming a man and becoming the head, the head coach, I think that's a great ordeal, and that's a great great idea for him. So like I said, got their first win. He just has to – they lost their quarterback. He's got to get that figured out. Like I said, he's lost a lot. If he can get it figured out and get it working and everything, then I wouldn't be surprised if he can get them back on track. And like I said, I mean, there's there's no reason to believe why they couldn't have a 23-game winning streak coming into Tallahassee next year at the end of the year. I mean, their toughest game is October 12th at Marshall. They get past that game right now, Cadillac. Ain't no reason. 23-game winning streak coming to Tallahassee, play a Power 5 school. And, hey, <laughs> if he gets it figured out and they rolling, I mean, I am i ain't 100% on Mike, sold on Mike Norvell in Tallahassee myself, so we'll, we'll just have to see how that works out. <laughs> well, that's what we got for Louisiana. Next team I'm going to talk about here is Troy. Troy was actually in the other division last year, but with the new teams that end up coming in, they end up switching over to this side of the division, which I think for Troy they kind of won. Because they got out of the side with App State, Coastal Carolina, the new Marshall, James Madison. This one, really the only team you're really having to worry about right now and deal with is Louisiana. So they got a new head coach, John Summerall. We'll have to see what he'll be able to do. The last coach, he just wasn't able to get it done. Chip Lindsey. I mean, you can win at Troy. I remember when Troy was good. I remember when Troy went to LSU and upset LSU. So, uh, that Chip Lindsey, he just he couldn't get it done. Five and seven, five and six, five and seven, 
I mean, that's not going to cut it at Troy. Not when Neil Brown just left his last three years, and 18 was 10 and 3, 17, 11 and 2, and 16, 10 and 3. So, I mean, he was 38 and 31 and 8 his last three years. And you come in, you're 15 and 20, and you missed the bowl game the last three years. Yeah, that'll, that'll get you out of there. But they've been close. I mean, as it shows, they've been really, really close. So John Summerall is actually walking into something pretty good, I think. I mean, they return nine starters on offense and nine starters on defense. They do this upcoming season, and they can actually be the best defense in the Sun Belt. That defense that Troy has is going to be hard to score against. Very, very hard to score against. They have two D linemen, Javon Solomon and Richard Jibunar. Now, Solomon had 11 sacks and 17 tackles for loss last year, while his counterpart had 8 sacks and 10 tackles for loss. So that D-line gets at that quarterback, and they get in there. Not to mention, they also have the conference's leading tackler coming back, Charlton Marshall. That man had 127 tackles last year and 10 tackles for loss. So, I mean, he he gets at it, too. He's all over the place. So, like I said, I think John Summerall kind of walked into a pretty good situation. I'm not saying that they didn't give Chip Lindsey enough time because three years and you've been stagnant. You're not going up. You're not going down. I, I can't work with that. I need to see something. I don't from what it's shown is five and seven, five and six. That's five and seven. That's what we're gonna get every year, and I, I can't I can't live with that. Not being at Troy, but the one thing that they do need help in is the secondary. Secondary is kind of young, kind of fresh, doesn't have a lot of reps under their belt, and I mean with the solid front seven, if they can get there, then it don't really matter, and they ain't gotta defend that long, but. They, they need to start working on that and trying to build that up. And that would be a big emphasis that I'd be paying attention to in, in the summertime, getting ready and moving forward. So then the next team that we got is Texas State. Jake Spavital is in his fourth year. He's 9-27. and 27. Jake Spavital is a really good guy. I'll tell you all a quick story real quick. When I was at U of H, Jake Spavital was actually the quality control guy. Really, really great guy. I used to sit in meetings with him. Learn a lot from him. He's the one who got me my coaching program and was a lot, a really big help and really knows a lot about football and just a really good guy. He followed Coach Sumlin around. He worked under Sonny Dykes as the offensive coordinator. He worked underneath Coach Sumlin whenever Cliff left. And then he also worked under um, Dana Hogerson up at West Virginia. And he knows a lot. He's, he's a really great guy. Texas State, I believe, is just a hard school to recruit to which is so crazy because it's i guess what you would have to do to win at texas state is you got to sell san marcos san marcos is a college town san marcos is 45 minutes south of austin and 30 minutes north of new bronzeville now anybody who's listening is from texas knows about austin and new bronzeville and i think the best way that they could get there and try to get some players in is sell san marcos Sell the college, sell the atmosphere, the college stadium, and everything like that. I mean, I think that's probably the best thing that you could do to try to get it better. His brother, Zach Spavital, is the D coordinator. His brother, when I was at Tech, when I was at U of H, was the defensive backs coach. While his brother was the qual, while Jake was the quality control. His brother went to Texas Tech and was a co-defense coordinator with Cliff. 
And then his brother Jake ended up hiring him at Texas Tech or Texas State whenever Cliff was let go at Texas Tech. This year, they got nine returning starters on offense, and hopefully that can get them turned back around because last year they only averaged 18.4 points a game, which was a really bad down year, which was about nine and a half points less than what they averaged the year before, which really sucks because they were actually trending in the right direction from 23.1, 27.7, and then 18.4. <laughs> so it took a big hit going into last year. And also, they was minus eight in turnover margin. I mean, it's it's so crazy. You look at these schools and these teams, and you dig into the games and everything like that, and that's mainly what it turns into, y'all. It's all about turnover margin, penalties, beating yourself, you know. Just don't beat yourself, I mean, a lot of these coaches are really great coaches. I mean, no coach coaches a kid to throw the ball to the other team or for another kid to drop the ball or to jump off sides or commit a penalty or something like that. And that stuff's part of the game. I get it. It's going to happen. <laughs> Nobody's perfect out there. If it was, everybody was perfect, then the game would be a 0-0 tie. <laughs> and all we would do is punt. But turnover margin... They just they got to get that turn back around. They need to get into the plus, and I think if you get into the plus, then you'll start to see your points rise because you're not turning the ball over. You'll have more opportunities, and then that opportunities becomes wins, and he could actually probably hopefully turn something around there and maybe get Texas State to their first ever bowl game. They've never been to a bowl game. So, Jake, I got faith in you. Come on, brother. You got this. All right, so then next team that we got here is UL Monroe. UL Monroe, Mr. Terry Bowden. Terry Bowden's a really good coach, really great guy. His daddy, one of the best to ever do it. And I think Terry Bowden's done a really great job as a head coach in all the different stops that he's been. And some of the stops he ain't been in the best places, <laughs> like at Akron. <laughs> I think he got the Akron job and maybe even this UL Monroe job just to stay busy. But this is second year there. His first year he went 4-8, and eight, which, I mean, that's really not bad. I mean, UL Monroe's going to be at... It's going to be a tough school to win at just because of the big non-conference games that they're going to schedule. I mean, if three to four, if three of the four games that you got to play non, non-conference are tough, and let's say you take those three losses off the top, it means you got to go six and three the rest of the way if you take those three losses to these big schools because they play big brand schools. They don't play mid-level, lower power five. No, they usually pay big brand schools and you figure if you take three losses off of that now you got nine games left to go to a bowl you gotta go six and three which means you gotta win your other one which means you gotta at least go five and three in your conference and if you're trying to build something it's really difficult to go five and three the more you really look into it less than half of the teams in the conference are going to go five and three so depending on how you schedule non-conference and maybe that might be something ul monroe looks into now let's not schedule these big non-conference games i mean for what good reason does it do i know it brings in money for the program and stuff like that and everybody has to find a way to make more money. And that's the name of the game right now. But, and your team will start to build more if you can get those extra bowl practices. If you can get those extra games and extra time and all that. Instead of just saying, okay, let's go get the break speed off of us by this school. <laughs> and just collect the check. And the, the money isn't really developing these players any better. Or getting you any better players. Because... 
you're not going to bowl games, you're not having winning records, and when you do play a team that's a top team, you're getting the brakes beat off of you. I mean, that's that's the way I see it. I mean, last year they started out four and three, which was great, but then they lost the last five. Could have split the difference there, you know. Maybe got two more wins, and then oh Terry would have got them to a bowl game. But then, like I was saying, you look at their non-conference this year, and you got at Texas, at Alabama, and at Army. Now, granted, Army isn't to the level of an Alabama and Texas, but that's a triple option team. Nobody wants to play a triple option team unless you either play them first game of the year or you play them in the bowl game, so that way you have time to prep and prepare if you play a game last week and the next week you gotta play one of these service academies or triple option teams you don't stand a chance i mean you really don't it's very difficult and that's one of the biggest advantages that these schools have because one you're not going to cut your d lineman in practice you're not going to risk an injury on your defensive lineman the scout that have a scout team player take out your star d tackle to scout to play one of these triple option schools so a triple option school like that, Army, in the middle, end of the year or whatever, if you don't play the service academy first week or bowl game, it's very difficult to beat those type of teams. But one thing Terry Bowden does have going for him, which is something that I talked about when we talked about Navy the other day, and, you know, whenever you play a service academy school, they're not going to turn the ball over, and they're not going to hurt themselves. They're usually the one of the least penalized teams in the country. Well, Terry Bowden owns that Terry Brown had UL Monroe is the least penalized team in the country and they were plus two in turnover margin which is why I'm pretty sure they got those four wins that they did <laughs> but if he can just build off of that I mean just not turning the ball over and not being penalized I mean that in itself will help that team grow and get better just in that there's so many games lost because of penalties or turnovers at key parts of the game. And if he can get that and keep that ship selling that way, then he might do all right, though. So then the next team that we got here is South Alabama. South Alabama playing out of Mobile. They actually have a new stadium this year, or last year they got Hancock-Whitney Stadium. They don't play at Lab Peebles Stadium no more which that's actually where they play their bowl game there and the senior bowl now, which I I thought they were still in Lab Peebles until I, I knew they was building one, but I didn't know if it was open or not yet. And I just saw earlier that it was open. So I was like, wow, that's really sweet. And it looks really, really nice. Last year, they was five and seven. They ended up starting three and oh, and then they lost to Louisiana by two. And they lost to Texas State by two in overtime. That wasn't that great for them. Then they picked up another win, got the five and three, kind of alternated wins in between, got the five and three, needed one more win, and they lost their last four. And they lost at Troy by seven, which ended up costing them from going to a bowl game. Or, no, excuse me, they lost that game by seven. And in their last game, they lost to Coastal Carolina by six in overtime. Even more devastating. They wasn't able to get to a bowl game last year, but I think they can get that turned around with those close losses that they had last year. Going five and seven, they just need one or two plays. I mean, one game by two, another game by two, another one by six in overtime, another one by seven. I mean, they're a play here, a play there from being what nine and three <laughs> which is a really great year so last year jake bentley was their quarterback he 
<laughs> Jake Bentley, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I ain't never been 100% sold on Jake Bentley. I think he bounced around a lot. I don't think he really knew what he was trying to do. And he was one of the players that me and Taz was joking about that we thought that he would probably end up leading the SEC in passing yards because he'd be playing from behind. And he was pretty much injured the whole time he was at South Carolina. So I guess South Carolina didn't work out too great for him. So they went to South Alabama. I guess he likes the word South. So, but I mean, they returned eight starters on offense, eight starters on defense. They got a new, new quarterback this year. So we'll have to see what he can do and see if he'll be able to. They do have a really solid DB out there, Daryl Luther Jr. Last year he had 10 pass breakups and four interceptions. He's another one of those lockdown style DBs out there. Just be sure to keep a lookout for him or South Alabama's playing. I think he's going to have another great year this year. I think he'll be another one that nobody's really going to throw to or look over his way. They're going to figure out where he's at and go the other way. All in all, next year, I think South Alabama could get back to a bowl game, which they haven't been the one since 2016. So I could see them getting back to their first bowl game since 2016. Next school we got here is Arkansas State. Arkansas State went 2-10 and 10 last year. Butch Jones is the head coach there now. Now, <laughs> Butch Jones... He, he was, you know, everybody knows he was a former head coach at Tennessee and got him in a lot of trouble and had a lot of issues with recruiting and stuff like that. But he is one of the better recruiters in the country, hands down. No kidding, hands down. And when he was at Tennessee, he could recruit these five stars. I mean, you would look at his roster They'd, be, they'd have a top 10 recruiting class. And you're like, man, Tennessee, I bet they probably do something really good out there next year. And he just, <laughs> he couldn't develop them. I mean, just uh, he, he could bring in a five-star. And wherever he is at, that was his ceiling. He never got him to that next level in development and stuff like that. And I think that was one of his downfalls on why he ended up getting booted from Tennessee was because... Yeah, okay, that's great. You can get the kid here. But <laughs> that kid just showing up, if he stays the same, isn't going to beat any of these other schools in this conference. No, them kids come in at that level, and then they get better. So that's something I think he'll, he really needs to work on is his recruiting, which is so funny. As I was looking it up, some publications has Arkansas State as having the top Sun Belt class in recruiting. <laughs> Which, I mean, makes sense. Like I said, he's a hell of a recruiter. He lost four games last year by one score. If he can get that turned around, that would give him his six wins and get him to a bowl game again. So he might be able to do that. That James Blackman's his quarterback. Tough. <laughs> I don't know. Watch James Blackman when he played for over here in Tallahassee for FSU, and I was never sold on Blackman. Was he tough? Oh, he was tough. Tough, 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 tough. Like, I, I seen that kid get laid down and get right back up. Tough. Can't gain no weight. I, I don't. <laughs> it's like that kid can't get over a buck 75. Pretty accurate. Stands tall in the pocket. Can take a hit. He just, he doesn't have the weight. 
nor has he ever really had the offensive line to develop and show what he's capable of doing. So he got injured last year, though, unfortunately. But now he's back this year, healthy. So he'll be the full-time starter out there. And hopefully that offensive line will hold up for him better at Arkansas State than it did at Florida State. So we'll just have to take a step back and see. And maybe he can turn those four losses by one scores in the wins and get Butch Jones to a bowl game this upcoming year. All right, now we got one final last team we got here is Southern Miss. Southern Miss is 3-9 and nine last year. Now, some people might look at that and say, man, that's a horrible year. Horrible, horrible year. But hold on a second and sit tight. Last year, they lost their top three quarterbacks to injuries. Top three quarterbacks, they lost to injuries. Couldn't keep a quarterback to save their life healthy. Won the last two games last year with a running back playing as quarterback. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's difficult to win anywhere on any level let alone with two running backs playing quarterback. I mean, that's amazing that they even won those two guys. I mean, hell, I guess when the quarterbacks was getting hurt, maybe they should have started the running back at the beginning of the year. I don't know. <laughs> but I have a feeling Southern Miss is going to do a little bit better this year uh, due to what they did last year. One, I mean, hell, they got to be able to keep these quarterbacks healthy. So if they can keep at least one of those three quarterbacks healthy, I think they'll do a lot better. Plus, they got a new OC, Sam Gregg. He was an OC over at Liberty with Hugh Freeze. So if anybody knows Hugh Freeze, they know Hugh Freeze knows offense. And if Hugh Freeze knows offense, I'm surely sure that his former OC knows offense. And they returned nine starters on offense. So I think that's going to help a lot and help them a lot better and getting back to where they need to be. And they also return seven starters on defense next year. And it looks like this year, from what I'm seeing, is that they're going to start a redshirt freshman, Ty Keys, who was who had three starts before he got injured last year. So from what I'm hearing and what I'm reading is that, that Ty Keys is going to be the starting quarterback this year, and hopefully he can stay healthy this upcoming year. He does have a really good running back to hand the ball off to. That Frank Gore Jr., who's a sophomore this year, which his daddy, I think, just retired from the NFL. <laughs> so he almost played with his son at the next level, which to me would be more impressive than if LeBron plays with his son because of the physicality, especially at running back that Frank Gore plays with. I remember watching him play at Miami in college. <laughs> and now I'm watching his son play at Southern Miss. <laughs> so that's, I mean, he's a really great running back. I think he'll have he'll do pretty good this year coming up. And they do return 10 of their, their top 10 tacklers and have a really solid return game. So I think just keeping the quarterback healthy is the main thing that they need to be concerned about and work on. But as long as they can keep that quarterback healthy, I think that they'll be all right and moving forward into this upcoming season. All right, so let's jump into that wraps up all the teams and everything. So now we're going to go ahead and look at some of the games to watch. I just got a handful of games. I didn't 
just go crazy and start throwing a bunch of games out there for everybody. But I, I think out of the, what I picked, five games? Yeah. I think out of the five games I picked, there's some pretty good games to look forward to this upcoming year in the Sun Belt. And the first one I got is September 3rd, North Carolina at App State. That's the game I was talking about earlier, that North Carolina is only a three-point favorite in that game. And those people in the desert usually know something that the rest of us don't. <laughs> so I would not be surprised to see if that's a bar, barn burner right there. And then on that same day, we got Middle Tennessee State going to James Madison. I know a lot of people probably look at that and think, oh, that isn't a really big game. Why would you mark that down? You know, and trust me, if you ask people at James Madison, that's a very huge game. Because that's their first game that they're going to play as a Division One school. So, to me, I think that would be pretty cool to check out and watch. Then, in October on a Wednesday, which, <laughs> like I've said in the past, I know I don't like weekday games. And I don't. I don't like weekday games in Power 5 football. Group of 5 football, I love. I love watching some fun belt. Fun belt games or some action over out there in the Mac whenever they're playing during the week. I love those games, but <laughs> I think there's a big pivotal game though in the conference is Louisiana at Marshall October 12th. That's the game I was telling everybody that if Louisiana can get past Marshall, there's a pretty good chance that they could be undefeated when they go to Florida State. So I think that'll be a really good game to watch coming up in October. Then the next one I got is another weekday game, a Thursday game, which this goes back into my feeling about playing during the week. <laughs> this is probably the biggest game in that division and one of the better group of five divisions. And they're playing it on Thursday. I guess they're doing, but it'll probably be at like seven, eight o'clock. So at least they're not playing it, I guess, at eight, eight nine o'clock at night. But I still think that should have been a Saturday game. I really do. November 3rd on Thursday night, you got App State going to Coastal Carolina. And remind you, that was a three-point game last year when Coastal Carolina went to App State. And you know Coastal Carolina is going to have revenge on their mind. And that could be the game to determine the division. And like I said, I, that one I don't like being on a Thursday night. But, hey. To each their own, I guess, right? Because that following Saturday, November 5th, you got Troy at Louisiana. And that game, I don't think, is as big as the Coastal Carolina App State. I think they could have actually flip-flopped those and played Detroit-Louisiana on a Thursday and played the App State-Coastal Carolina on Saturday. But if you want to see the top four teams and the top two in each division... Those are the two games that you're going to want to watch and check out. So that wraps up our games to look forward to this upcoming year. Now I'm going to let y'all know and check out my offensive and defensive player of the years this year that I got. So on offense, I got Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina. Last year, 2,873 yards, 27 touchdowns, three interceptions, and 73% completion percentage. He's also the two-time Sun Belt Player of the Year already. But this is my sleeper guy, 
like I was talking about earlier in the episode, Marshall, Rasheen Ali, 1,400 yards and 23 touchdowns. If they start to lean on him a little bit more, and depending on how some of these games go, that might actually be the be your player of the year this year. It's just kind of one of the players where I don't know if he's actually going to get the reps and or get enough wins, honestly. I think it's more the wins than anything that I'm more concerned about that they might end up might end up costing them from getting the conference player of the game because they'll actually play October 29th at Marshall. So we'll go ahead and just add that as a <laughs> game to watch. October 29th at Marshall, Coastal Carolina goes on the road. So that could be a game between the top two players in the conference. Defense, um, I kind of went against the grain a little bit on this one because, like I said, I kind of like I like picking something that nobody really pays that much attention to or anything like that. I think that there's a DB at App State, a guy named Steven Jones. Last year he had five picks and eight pass breakups, which doesn't seem like a lot, but... He's also one of them guys that you're going to look and you're not going to go that direction. So maybe the stats ain't there, but football people know who he is and they'll know who he is and he'll end up getting drafted somewhere down the line. Another one is a sleeper that I've noticed has become a big favorite in a lot of places is that Josiah Stewart for Coastal Carolina who had 12 and a half sacks as a freshman last year. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing as a freshman at 12 and a half sacks. I just, I don't know. Like I said, I guess I went with a guy from App State just because I don't like having two players, offense and defense, from the same from the same team. Kind of want to break it up a little bit. Those are the couple of players that we need to, y'all need to watch out for this upcoming year and who I pick as my players of the year. Now I'll go ahead and break it down in my predictions and break down the divisions. In the one division, I got Coastal Carolina winning the division this year. I do. I think they're going to get their revenge on App State. Like I said, that quarterback coming back is amazing. I think he's going to do great. App State, they have a really tough schedule, but I think they're still, like I said, that Coastal Carolina-App State game, I think will be the one that will determine the outcome. Georgia State, really like what Georgia State's doing. I really do. Same thing with Old Dominion. I think Old Dominion's trending in the right direction, especially after last year and what they got coming back. Marshall got probably the best running back in the conference. We have to see how that quarterback works. I just I don't know how that's going to play out. <laughs> James Madison, I think they'll be all right. I think they won't finish last. They'll finish right there towards the bottom, but they'll start to get their weight up and get their recruits in there and everything, and I think they're going to be all right in the near future. And then Georgia Southern, I got finishing last just because of Helton wanting to switch from triple option to spread offense. That, that, just, that to me, it just don't work. <laughs> so that's what I got on the one side. On the other side, I got Louisiana back again, representing for them. Like I said, I think they got a legit chance to keep their winning streak alive. They got the great best coach for it. Like I said, there probably isn't no one more better fit for a Louisiana job than Ed Orgeron was. <laughs> I haven't heard any interviews with this guy yet, so I hope he sounds like Ed Orgeron, like the Cookie Monster. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> Followed by Troy. Troy, I, I think they got probably the best defense 
I just don't know if they have enough offense yet to get to that level to win the division yet. I, th- I think they got lucky. They got flipped over to this division instead of staying in that other division because that other division is really, really strong. Followed by South Alabama. They got a new home they started playing in last year. I think they're going, they might actually, I think they'll get to a bowl game. First one in a long time. Followed by Southern Miss. Like I said, I think they're going to do a lot better if they can just keep a quarterback healthy. (laughs) At least just one of them. (laughs) Followed by Arkansas State, which like I said, Butch, he can, he can recruit. Just can he develop? And can Blackman stay upright? If Blackman can stay upright, he might even move up to third or maybe even fourth. Just depends on if Blackman can stay healthy. Followed by UL Monroe. Love what Terry Bowden's doing. Like I said, at least penalized team in the conference or in the country, not even just the conference. I think that's going to help a lot. Like I said, some tough non-conference games, but I like what they're doing, and I think he's going to do all right and won't finish at the bottom. And then last, unfortunately, I got Texas State. Like I said, the offense has been trending in the wrong direction. Very, very hard to recruit there, even though you have the college atmosphere and everything. I just, I don't know. I got I to gotta see them get over the hump first. And maybe you can get it turned around and get them to their first ever bowl game. We'll just have to see. So with all that being said, I end up having Coastal Carolina over Louisiana in the conference championship game. And that will be... I'll say it now. That will be Louisiana's first loss. They'll have a 25-game winning streak going into that game in Coastal Carolina. will upset them, and they'll be a top 15 team. So y'all heard it here first <laughs> before any of all these other places get on here and start talking all this craziness. Y'all heard it here first, all right? Coastal Carolina beats Louisiana in the conference championship. Louisiana has a 25-game winning streak going into that game. Heard it here. Well, all right, everybody. That right there is pretty much going to wrap up our Sunbelt preview show. Like I said, it's the first time I've done this by myself. I hope I did a good job. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all tune back in. Like I said, Taz will be back for the next episode. And that's pretty much all I have on this episode. I want to tell everybody thank you. Appreciate all the love, all the downloads. The last episode was a record number for us i mean keep showing the love keep telling people keep pushing the download button tell your friends tell your family tell everybody i really do appreciate it like i said i hope i did a good job for y'all today and i broke down some games showed y'all taught y'all a little something that i learned in researching these conferences and these teams and like i said we're gonna break it down every conference like this next one we do will be conference usa then we'll do the mountain west and then we'll do the Mac and the independence. And I'm hoping to get all those out before we do our week zero preview show and our top 25 show that we got coming for y'all later on. All right, everybody. Well, thank y'all for tuning in. I had a great time and have a great weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.